Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday. January 28th, 2022. At least it is for another hour or so. <laughs> this is Shannon. And tonight I'm here with Stacy and Sarah. The S Brigade is bringing you an episode filled with recommendations of body positive books. Because yeah. why not? There are so many great ones to discuss. Brooke was supposed to be here with us tonight, but she is not feeling well, so it is just the S's, and we are going to move into the usual housekeeping information, then Stacy will start us off, followed by me, and then Sarah. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So I am super excited to talk about a book by a new to me author. And to me, it's always really great when you discover an author with a huge backlist because then your life is full of joy and happiness. And tonight I'm going to talk, I know, and tonight I'm going to talk about The Love Con by Ceresia Glass. This book is about Kenya and Kenya is... One of my favorite heroines I've read about in a while. She is this classy, confident, plus-size Black woman who is on a reality show for cosplay, and she has made it to the finals. So she is, you know, doing really well. And she is up on stage with two supportive judges and... A bitch judge. When she <laughs> finds out that for this final round of this show that she's in for this competition, and if she wins, she will be able to design costumes for a major motion picture. She has to do this with a partner. And so the other contestant on the show is going to do things to do the final round of cosplay costuming with his husband. And Kenya decides that she needs to do the final round with her best friend, Cameron. They've been friends since they were 13. And when she's questioned by the bitch judge about Cameron, she says that he is her boyfriend because she's feeling panicked. Cameron is not her boyfriend and thus commences their fake relationship. So Kenya returns home to Atlanta and Cameron 
And they decide that they're going to do this thing upright and a producer is going to be following them around. So they decide they live together in an apartment and they decide they're going to sleep together in the same room and move everything around to make it look like they are like for reals dating. And they have to make it look real to everyone, including Kenya's parents and including all of their friends to make the producers of the show buy what they are selling. Now, Kenya, throughout the process of being on this reality show, has acted with class and grace and poise as she is questioned repeatedly about whether or not she legitimately deserves to be there because of her size and because of her race. And she puts up with microaggressions like I have never read about in a book before constantly. And what I, Kenya to me was like someone who I'd want to be my best friend. Like she has pink bangs. She wears like (laughs) bright pink clothing. She is very secure in herself and her beautiful curves. She does not, you know, at one point in the book, she talks about how she really hasn't felt bad about her size since she was in high school. And she just dresses to emphasize her beautiful cleavage and her ample curves. And she makes her body completely rocket. And so when the judges question her and say things that sort of bring her size into question and her race, she continuously responds with poise and grace and class. Because the show is doing all that it can to typecast her in the role of angry black woman. <laughs> and I, I have to say that I had no idea that this was such a thing, but they are doing their, just their damnedest to try to make her into this, this character of the angry black woman. Well, Cameron, who is Kenya's best friend, is not putting up with any of this nonsense because he has loved her since they were 13 and she sat down at his lunch table where he was sitting all alone with his comic book and she befriended him, brought him into her family when his family was struggling and made him feel like he had a place to go and people who cared. And for that, he has always loved her. But besides that, Cameron has always loved Kenya for all the reasons that I have described. She's fun. She's gorgeous. She's sexy. She's confident. And she's damn good at her job of creating costumes for cosplay. So the two of them embark on a fake relationship together that as time passes becomes, well, the lines get blurred, you know, on how fake is this relationship and feelings begin to emerge on both sides. But as they are creating costumes for the finals of this show, and as they are dealing with the feelings that they have been sort of not acknowledging for years, they're also dealing with the doubts of everyone around them, from her parents to the producers, about their relationship and how real is it? Will Kenya win the finals of the reality show? Or will she return to being an engineer with all of her more creative dreams put aside? Will she end up with Cameron at the end? Or was the relationship as fake as they both believed? I loved many things about this book. Like I said, for me, the the relationship between 
Kenya and Cameron was so gorgeous and so lovely and natural and fluid. And if we all had a best friend like Cameron, we would be so lucky. The thing that really um, was sort of soul shriveling to me as I read this book was how many microaggressions that a beautiful and confident woman like Kenya had to deal with on the daily just to prove that she belonged in this world, in this role, and on this show. And it, that was hard for me to read about, I'll be honest. It, um, it, I'll think about this book for a long time. Um, this author is a beautiful writer and has made this into something that I love to read. Um, what I loved most about this book, besides the romance between Kenya and Cameron, was the confidence that Kenya had in her body, in her shape, and how to work what she had. And I loved just, just her confidence, her grace, her poise, her class um, against some very, very troubling situations that she found herself in. Um, I will tell you one thing that was annoying to me was there was a twig bitch that came in and tried to make trouble for her and Cameron. Um, I felt like we could have done without that part, but for the most part, this book was just an absolutely lovely and tragic look at what women of color are dealing with right now in the U S. Um, everyone should read it. It was great. This again is the love con by Sericia glass. And I hope you all go out and read it. Cause it is just a really, really, compelling book on many levels. Sounds really Theresia good. Gl Theresia Glass was my final interview of 2021. And she was just so insightful. She had so many great things to say about microaggressions and why she thinks it's important that people know about them and that they are portrayed accurately um, in, in books that feature black women. Um, she talked a lot about representation and the things that it is doing and the things that it isn't. I just thought that she was so, so lovely to talk to. And I really want to read this as well as her urban fantasy. I know I was going to say Ooh. in bonus, she has a whole urban fantasy series that is, I, yes. I'm pretty sure it's complete because it's been out for a number of years. So I'm excited to check that out Ooh. too. All right, so I'm changing things up a little bit, and we are going to talk about some historical fiction. Hmm. This is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. This is a World War II era story that is based on a real-life person. So Virginia Hall was a spy during World War II, and there are a lot of really interesting things about her that you learn as you read the book, but one of the most fascinating elements of her character to me was the fact that she had a prosthetic leg and still she was able to do all of this like very physical work during the second world war. Um, so this is, it's historical fiction. I was saying to Stacy earlier that I think it has kind of some romantic elements, but it's definitely more on the historical fiction side of the spectrum than I would say like historical romance or even like women's fiction. But basically this is a portion of Virginia's life 
around the time of 1944. And it talks about this mission that Virginia is going on to rescue a group of people in Germany. And she is currently in France. And she's trying to figure out, like, is this a mission that she should undertake? Because apparently a previous mission that she had 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 gone terribly, terribly wrong. And her confidence was, was shaken, as, as you might expect. But she really feels like she needs to, to make amends. So she begins to slowly kind of put together the ways in which she's going to to have this mission be more successful than her previous one. And this is very much a story of Virginia's courage, but it's also a story of the people who assist her and not in the way that you would sort of expect. Like she, you know, you don't look at her as a disabled woman who needs assistance to do her work in any way other than the way that any operative would need, you know, people on the ground to help them. I love the historical detail here. I love knowing that in a time when, you know, we don't see a lot about people with disabilities during World War II, um, because like, eugenics was such a huge movement during that time in history, you know, we just, we don't, we don't see people who were disabled, who actually were able to be productive parts of the war effort. And I love that not only is Virginia a productive part, but she is just so, so successful. And she just like goes in there and, you know, totally takes down people that need to be taken down. I was fascinated by some of the descriptions of like the early prosthetic limbs. You know, now our technology makes it so that, you know, I'm sure they're not like 100% comfortable, but the way that they're described during this book, um, like I can't imagine trying to walk miles and miles a day with this like very uncomfortable, unwieldy, limb attached to my body. Um, I think we need more books like The Invisible Woman that sort of embrace Virginia for her whole entire person, you know, not just because she was clever and determined, but also because she's a woman who overcame really tremendous odds. If you love historical fiction, if you're looking for women with disabilities who were successful in times when the world wasn't really prepared for that, I highly recommend this. It came out in early 2021. And once again, it is The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. Sounds really good, Shannon. I love it. So I need to read this. I went through a long historical fiction drought. And I know that Shannon tried to tell me about this book like a year ago. And I don't recall that Shannon told me about this book because I was not into reading historical fiction at the time, but I agree. Like, I think it would be fascinating to read about a person with a disability in that time doing something dangerous and necessary. Yes. And heroic. 
for my first book, can we talk a little bit about food trucks? Yes. Yes, we can. Oh, good. I love oh. food trucks. They're my favorite. I know. I, I would love more food truck stories. So this book is called Playing with Fire by LJ Shen. And I will tell you, it's a little more new adulty than I usually read. But I picked it up because the synopsis looked really intriguing to me. And I gave it a chance and I'm so glad I did. So it's the story of Grace Shaw. And Grace works for a food truck with her friend. And Grace is a scarred girl who likes to really like stay under the radar, be invisible, not be noticed. She had a very tragic thing happen to her in her past that ended up with her getting all these scars on her face, on her neck, down her arm. She's very scarred. It's not just like, you know, a little scar like above her eyebrow or something like it's, it's very noticeable. And when that happened, she very much retreated from her. She was the most popular girl in high school. She was very like, had a lot of interest, had a lot of friends and was basically like rejected by everyone. Um, the only person she has is her grandmother who is not doing very well. And she is just, has become very invisible until the day West St. Clair comes to town and he is like an underground fighter. He Ooh. is like the gorgeous bad boy on campus. And, you know, he's like the big college heartthrob, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> the bad boy on campus. And for some reason, these two people keep getting thrown together and they are both very, very scarred in different ways. So Grace's scars, well, I mean, she has a lot of inner trauma as well, but they're very visible on the outside and West's scars are on the inside. But for some reason, he keeps coming back to her food truck. And for some reason, they start talking and, and West give gives grace the confidence to step out into the light and to shine and to remember the person that she used to be before this tragic event happened to her. And grace gives West the stability and the kindness and the support that he really needs. And the two of them together make the most beautiful love story um, it says in the synopsis, that it's a love story wrapped in secrets. And it really is, which is why I'm being a little vague about this book and why I'm not talking about the main event that caused the tragedy. Um, both of them experienced horrendous, horrendous, horrendous tragedy in their lives. And when it's revealed, it's really kind of discovered that both of them have kind of had in different ways, the same experience. And it's just amazing to me how these two characters, one who outwardly is like beautiful and charismatic and one who is somebody who wants to be invisible. I mean, people like make fun of her. People point at her. People like will gag when they see her. I mean, she's, she's very scarred. I mean, it's not like, again, like I said, a scar above her eyebrow and how she develops the confidence to become the shining star she always was and how 
she gives West the confidence to be himself and not just like the cocky college bad boy street fighter. And it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite LJ Shen books. And it's written in a lot more of a gentle, sweet vein than some of her other books. It's not as harsh. It's not as gritty. It's a very beautiful, heartbreaking story. So if you're interested, even if those of you who maybe like me aren't so much into new adult romance, me, I really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I really highly recommend this book. I loved it. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it for a long time after I read it. Playing with fire by LJ Shen. Ugh, I bought it and I started it and I'm like, oh God, they're like 18. And I stopped reading it because I cannot stand like the new adult genre, subgenre. But I so much more than that. You've begged me to read this since what was it 2020 when it came out or 2019? I don't even I don't remember. I just remember you've been begging me for a couple years to read it. I need to like cave so I can come on this podcast and say that you were right and I was wrong. So no one can see me now, which is a good thing because I'm kind of doing twirls and dances because Shannon finally is letting me talk about my really? darling Duke again. I mean, I feel like I talked right. about my darling Duke. I again. talked about it so much. She told me I couldn't talk about it for a while, but <laughs> it's, she told me back in like October, I couldn't talk about it again. I think I talked about it three times in 2021, but oh my God. But anyway, so the, the my darling Duke by Stacey Reed was probably one of my most, it's, it's sinful wallflowers book one. And I looked at Goodreads and it says that I read it on January 3rd of 2021. And it was in my top three books of 2021. I loved it so very much. So our intrepid heroine is a young woman named Catherine Danvers. And Miss Catherine Danvers is in a bit of a pickle because she's sort of like a lesser sort of aristocratic, whatever you call it in London. And because I don't read a lot of historical romance anymore, but she needs to make a good match so that her younger sisters can marry well. And so that her impoverished family can once again be rolling in the pounds and other British currency that I cannot think of right now. So Miss Catherine Danvers comes up with a very daring plan. She is going to turn herself into Miss Kitty Danvers, and she is going to let it be known that she is engaged to Alexander Masters, the Duke of Thornton. And she feels pretty safe doing this because he hasn't been seen in society in like 10 years. So like, obviously for her to say that she is engaged to him, is not going to be a big deal, but what it's going to do is give her enough notoriety for her younger sisters to make advantageous matches. And then she can fade away to go back on the shelf and not have to be like anymore in the marriage mart. So she transforms herself into vivacious Kitty Danvers and talks about all this wonderful, tells all these wonderful stories about her fiance, the Duke of Thornton. And she becomes the most notorious and sought after lady in London. And her younger sisters are sought after in their own right because of the popularity of Lady or of Kitty Danvers. And all of a sudden though, she's being offered a townhouse with new furniture by the Duke's solicitors. 
And she's being offered like an upgrade in her wardrobe because of course, as his fiance, she, you know, gets to have these things. By right. Well, up in Scotland, Alexander Masters, Duke of Thornton, is sort of a pale shadow of the man that he used to be. He used to be very into politics and he was very respected in the House of Lords. And then he experienced a very, very tragic event. I think Sarah and I are just going to keep using the same words, a tragic event. <laughs> and now he is broken in a body. Um, he's in a wheelchair. He's very, very scarred quite disabled after um, a horrible thing that happened to him and his family. Well, imagine his surprise when he is congratulated on his engagement to the vivacious Kitty Danvers by his solicitors and his doctor. And he's like, well, what the hell? I'm up in my castle. But he's so like interested in all the things that he's reading about her in the papers he sojourns to London to meet this upstart who is bold enough to say that she is his fiance. And a very strange thing happens. When they meet, he goes along with Kitty Danvers' deception. And he takes her to Scotland to his home. And that's when the story really starts. Because here we have a very beautiful sort of Beauty and the Beast-esque love story between a man who thought that he could never be loved in the body that he has now, in his wheelchair, with his scars, with his mm, challenges in the bedroom, and a woman <laughs> who demonstrates, I didn't say certain bedroom activities this time at least. That was good. Nighttime <laughs> activities. Um and the the young woman who is able to see beyond the surface, beyond the appearance, to the heart and soul of the man within. And this book is gorgeous for its disability representation, for its body positive way of looking at someone who does not fit the mold of virile sort of alpha duke. And, you know, it, it does have some Beauty and the Beast elements. There are, like, the amazing servants. There's, like, books. There's, I love don't even the know. Servants. Like, oh, I love yes. that. I don't even like this. I don't like the word servant. But that's, I mean, they're his staff. But they're really his family. And it's, like, you can see Mrs. Potts and Cogsworth and some of these people. I'm just saying. But, you know, this book is such a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous love story that is different than so much of what is out there today that just really shows that beauty isn't just skin deep, it's in the eye of the beholder, and that love transcends anything that you may think about how your body may appear to others. It's still my favorite can, book. And how you say can, really regain confidence in knowing that you are more than like scars or a wheelchair or, you know, that you can build your own story about your appearance and how you Absolutely. come across to others. Yep. Yeah. You get to be the author of your own story. Yes. So this again is My Darling Duke, Sinful Wallflowers, number one, by the most incredibly amazing, wonderful Stacy Reed. 
I mean, her name is Stacy. So like, of course she's amazing. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. Like if you haven't read this book, like what the hell are you waiting for? You need to go out right away and pick it up and read it. Because even if you like me hate ballrooms and potted palms, you won't care because the majority of this book takes place in Scotland, far away from ballrooms and potted palms. So go forth and read oh, good. and love these characters as much as I do, please. Oh, it makes me want to read it tomorrow. I know I might have to read it again. You know, usually when people in historical novels have like a daring plan, it usually isn't very daring. Like if you examine it through like our lens. lens. Yeah. But I think saying that you're engaged to somebody like who actually is a living, breathing person and just sort of assuming that, you know, they won't find out because they've been away for a long time. Like that really is a daring plan. And I, and I quite love desperate. her so much for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I am once again changing it up and we are going to talk about a face for Picasso coming of age with Cruzen syndrome by Ariel Henley. This is a memoir that was recommended to me by a good friend when I told her that we were uh, prepping for this episode. She said, would you consider reading a memoir? And I said, I absolutely would. And she recommended this one to me and I bought it and read it in about a day. So for those of you who don't know, Cruzen syndrome is a syndrome where the bones in the head of a small child fuse. And so basically their heads can't grow. And as a result, people who have this particular syndrome and the other syndromes that are kind of like part of its cluster will undergo a bunch of different facial surgeries. And because of this, there's a lot of facial disfigurement, um, There are some, like often some disabilities, people have vision problems, hearing problems. Um, It's like their airways are super small and can be hard to to deal with if you're doing like intubation. Um, And I think one of the most striking things about this book is its emphasis on America's emphasis on the way people look. So we have this idea of what people should look like, what beauty is, you know, what someone's face should look like. And apparently there are like mathematical equations that are supposed to define beauty. I did not know this until I read this book, but apparently it is true. Um, And so for someone like Ariel and her twin sister, Zan, both of whom have this syndrome, like they fall in their, in their minds and in the minds of those around them far outside the lines of what we see as beautiful. And this causes both of them a lot of, of difficulty as they grow to adulthood. Um, the more surgeries they have to allow their heads and their faces to grow properly, like with each surgery, they come away looking, looking different than they did before the surgery. And so she talks about looking in the mirror and not recognizing herself 
looking at her twin sister and not recognizing her sister and just how disconcerting it is when your own image of yourself is always changing. Um, there is a lot of kind of like what, what Stacy was talking about with um, the love con, but in a slightly different way, because we're talking about a memoir, there's a lot of, I wouldn't even call them like microaggressions here. Like there's like outright nastiness. Um, Someone told Ariel when she was in junior high that her face looked like a bomb site. (laughs) Um, And there's just like, so like so much cruelty that is visited upon these, these young girls because they don't look the way people think that they should. In a lot of ways, this is a hard read. Um, If you are sensitive to medical trauma, this is probably not a book that you will enjoy. But it is, I think, so insightful and so important for people to really stop and think about how we view the world around us and how we define what is acceptable, what is beautiful. Ariel works hard once, you know, she's a little bit older and a little bit more mature to really find peace with who she is as a person and to really embrace the way she looks, even if it's not what other people would would deem ideal. I could say a lot more about this book, um, but I won't because I I want people to go out and read this. If you get it in audio, it's read by the author and she does just such a great job of like lending her voice to the words that she's written on the page. This is A Face for Picasso, Coming of Age with Cruisen Syndrome by Ariel Henley. I'm really excited to chat a little bit about my next book. It is a book that I really enjoyed and it's the book that I started on with this author and then read every single thing that she wrote. So let's talk about Get a Life, Chloe Brown, Brown Sisters Number 1 by Talia Hibbert. And we're going to start with the story of Chloe, who is pretty sheltered in the beginning of this novel, living in her very fancy family mansion. She's a very... (laughs) Um, according to the synopsis, geeky computer person. And she has a chronic illness. So Chloe kind of sort of almost dies. And she decides that her life is very stagnant. She has this chronic illness. She's living in her like very fancy family mansion. And she's not really living. She's coddled in her mind. She's coddled. And people don't treat her like an adult. And she has decided that she's going to make a list of things that she's going to accomplish because she is going to get a life. She's going to live a life fully and embrace it. She's going to have a drunken night out. She's going to go camping. She's going to ride a motorcycle. She's going to have joyous sex. She's going to do something. Yeah, she's going to do something (laughs) bad. She's going to live her life to the fullest and she's going to move out of that damn mansion and away and become her own person. And she finds someone who she thinks is going to be bad enough to help her be bad and do all these things. And his name is Red Morgan. 
And I love him. I do too. And he's like a very like tattooed, looks like a very rough exterior, like handyman type guy in her new building. But really, he's an artist. And throughout the course of this book, like she has, it's very interesting because Chloe in her way kind of typecasts him and makes assumptions about him the way that people would make assumptions about Chloe. Chloe is a plus-sized heroine who has chronic illness and people make assumptions about what she can and cannot do. And Chloe does the same thing to Red Morgan with his tattoos and his rough exterior and his kind of blatant disregard for her wealth and position. (laughs) But he is actually the most sweet and talented cinnamon roll artist. And he teaches Chloe how to do the things on her list, how to go camping, how to ride a, ride a motorcycle. I mean, of course they have fabulous sex because it's Talia Hibbert, but oh, yeah. how to really embrace her beautiful life and how to live and throw off like the yoke of what everybody thinks that she should do, including her family who loves her, but it's in a misguided way with her with her illness and her, they want to protect her. And this is a book about somebody who really comes into their own and learns that no matter how ill they are, no matter if some days they literally can't get out of bed because of pain, that they are beautiful and worth love and they deserve love and deserve to have these adventures to travel the world with a small suitcase, to, to go camping, to ride a motorcycle, to be bad because it's not just the, stereotypical, healthy, beautiful people who deserve to do that. And so Red and Chloe teach each other these beautiful life lessons and have a lot of really sexy, sexy times while they're at it and really just come into their own and, and make such a wonderful story. Um, the whole Brown sisters trilogy is absolutely amazing. You really need to read them in order and you really need to start with get a life, Chloe Brown, the Brown Sisters book one by Talia Hibbert, who I really wish could be my best friend because she's so cool. I love her. I love her I love too. everything she writes. So I'm following in Shannon's footsteps and I'm going to talk about a memoir for my third book. This book is The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. And I love this book a lot. It is probably like the voice is so fresh and charming and delightful. You kind of can't help but fall in love with her. And that sounds so trite and stupid, but it's so true. This book is told in a series of essays by um, a disability advocate who has sort of um, coined the hashtag disabled and cute And she's written a series of essays about her experience as a disabled Black woman in white, able-bodied America. And what drew me to this book originally is, first of all, she's young, which makes her more relatable. Um, Her voice is fresh and honest, but also she's a twin. And I don't know if you guys know this on this podcast, but I'm a twin. Really? Did you know, Sarah? What? You're a twin? I mean, totally. So, so I, I, 
I know. And, but what I really related to about this is thinking about, you know, I'm so lucky. My twin and I have the same experience. We're identical. We look the same. We are the same. We're both blind. But I think about what it would be like to grow up in a world where you are the twin who is not called the pretty one. The twin who is disabled, the twin who feels like the burden, the twin who feels compared negatively all the time to her sister. The one who just desperately wants to live a life of normalcy. And so this book kind of explores her evolution of how she becomes someone who feels that she is worthy and deserving of love in the body that she has. Um, I, I don't know why, but one of the most powerful essays for me that she wrote was about how she learned through hours and hours of trial and error, how to put her hair in a ponytail on her own without needing help from her sister or anybody else, any of her other yes. friends who would come over and help her mm -hmm. in the mornings. And, you know, so it's just a book of different essays that kind of chronicle what it's like to be a disabled woman in a body that doesn't work like her peers and trying to figure out to navigate romance, to navigate just pop culture and how to find her own place in a world that was not designed for her. And how to find comfort in her skin. And how to do it all with sort of class and humor and how to, you know, like I said, with, with her hashtag of disabled and cute, how to make it into something where she learns to love the body that she's in and love the limitations that she has without making it into something to be regretted. Um, I'm not going to say much more about this book because I think just reading the essays is such a powerful way to get to know Kia Brown and what she stands for. But certainly this is a very powerful memoir that for those of us with disabilities, um, for those of us who've struggled with different types of body positivity that we can, many of us can relate to. This again is the pretty one on life, pop culture, disability, and other reasons for falling in love with me by Kia Brown. Can we talk about musical theater? Um, Please! Yes! yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, I hope so, I know what you're going to talk about. Yes, I think you do. I, so think I, do. I read very little middle grade. I, I love YA, but middle grade is not always a, a place I can comfortably go so I just I don't know there's there's a lot of great middle grade out there I, I always hear about it but I just don't always pick it up but I made an exception when I heard about The Chance to Fly by mm. Ali Stroker yay and there was one reason mainly that I did this because there's a lot of books about disability written for middle graders, but I had to pick this up because it is about a disabled middle schooler who loves musical theater. Ooh, 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 I and I grew up I know. as a blind girl who loved musical theater and who, you know, was always kind of taught that there was no place for me as someone with a disability in that, in that arena. 
So reading the story of Natalie, who is in a wheelchair, and she moves to this new, this new town, and she's really struggling to find her place. But she's a very, very gifted singer and actress, and she decides that she's going to go to theater camp, like a, like a day camp. Oh my God. God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sobbing already. <laughs> and she, she does. Like, she goes to this camp, and, you know, some, some things are not easy. Some people don't really know, you know, how it's going to be to have somebody who's in a wheelchair acting on stage and like what do you do when the part that you're supposed to play like the part is not written for a disabled person so like how do you incorporate disability into an already written you know script so there is some of that like it's not a book that makes it seem like everyone just welcomes you with open arms you know I think there's enough realism um, that people can say, you know, this is this is accurate. This explains what someone's experience might be. But at its heart, this is a story of personal empowerment of Natalie realizing that she can act and that if she has a supportive like theater troupe behind her, people who are willing to make those accommodations and perhaps alter certain aspects of the of the script in order to have it fit Natalie a little better that she can be as successful in this arena as her peers this is a book that I would have so so wanted to read as a young singer who always felt like you know if, if I could see like the Broadway stage would be where I would want to be, but who was always sort of told gently usually, but still told that a blind girl can't act. And I don't know if that's true. Like there's a part of me that thinks I would not be a good actress, but there's also a part of me that thinks, you know, that it might've been nice to like test that out for myself. Um, Ali Stroker is a Broadway star who herself is in a wheelchair and she reads this book on audio. She sings little snippets during it. Um, it is just all around a phenomenal read. And if I can convince anyone, either my presenters or people who <laughs> listen to this podcast, if I can convince anyone to read one middle grade book this year please, please let it be The Chance to Fly by Ali Stroker. I would like to take you guys to um, a romance that I read um, on vacation last year. And to be honest, I don't even know what made me pick it up. Because looking at the synopsis, you I don't do either. And I was there. I don't know. Why, why did we read? Why did we buy I this? don't know. I mean, the synopsis, I just, I have it so I could look at it and make sure I remember their, you know, the, everything about their names and everything. And, and I was shocked at the depth of this book. This book is called Yes, and I Love You, Say Anything, book one. And it's by Ronnie Lauren. And I loved it. I loved it from the first page to the last page. I was 
sad when it ended. And it is about, um, it is a story of Holland and Holland has Tourette's syndrome. And I would really, really, really love for somebody who may have a diagnosis of Tourette's to read this book and tell me if it's accurate, because I, I truthfully don't know, but it made a huge impact on me. And so I'm hoping that the author really did her research because I loved every minute of it. And I'm hoping that as somebody who wants her disability represented and and somebody to feel that if it is, it's, it's written beautifully and with, with, with understanding, I hope this book is. So this is the story of Holland and Holland has Tourette's and she was very much um, coddled and protected by her family, by her mother. And Holland decides that she needs to really break out of this mold and get away from her family and become her own person. Holland has some very obvious visual facial tics. And she also has some verbal tics. And she is, while she has managed them, she's a very introverted person and she's very self-conscious about people noticing her facial tics and, and, and remarking upon them. She feels that she just really doesn't want to be judged for that and that people judge her very harshly. Sometimes they think she's just like cutely winking at them when she's actually having a facial tic. Sometimes she'll just start having like verbal tics and she just would rather stay home and hide, but she knows that that is no type of life for a young, vibrant person to have. So she moves to New Orleans and she develops a persona through pictures and photojournalism that everybody knows she's Miss Poppy. And Miss Poppy goes and evaluates the nightlife at all these cool places. And she takes these beautiful, amazing pictures. And everybody in New Orleans, like Miss Poppy is like the hot new person. But nobody knows that Miss Poppy is actually Holland. And Holland's boss tells her, in order to stay relevant, in order us for in order for us to continue supporting you, you need 100% to start making videos. And Holland is like, oh, oh my God, like this is the worst thing you could ask me to do. If I'm trying to do a video and I'm trying to act natural, but it's like a tense situation because I'm really trying to come across a certain way. My facial tics are going to be worse. People are going to see them. They're going to, no one's going to want to see me. They're going to want to see like the vibrant Miss Poppy who's like such a vibrant, her pictures are so expressive and her writing is so like snarky and confident. And Holland is absolutely just petrified to be in these videos. But she also knows that if she doesn't do it, she is going to lose her job. So through a, a... a series of events. She befriends or is befriended by a barista in her building. So every day she goes and she gets coffee in her building from a barista named Jasper, who is an aspiring actor. And they, he really is very intrigued by Holland. He just is very interested and thinks she's very somebody that she that he would like to get to know. And he finds out about her predicament that she has to make these videos. And he says, I can help you. I can coach you. 
he also realizes that he can expose Miss Poppy and everybody would then know, and it might do really good things for his career. Oh no. However, he, he realizes that he is becoming more and more intrigued by Holland, not Miss Poppy. And knows that doing this will really, really negatively impact her own self-image, um, Miss Poppy's image, and a lot of other things. So it's kind of like a, a, a crossroads for him. Jasper has his own struggles that I'm not going to go into right now because it will ruin part of the book. But Jasper comes across as this very confident person who is seems to have it all together, is very charming, very charismatic, but he is struggling with hidden challenges of his own. And together, Holland and Jasper form this beautiful friendship that deepens into more, of course. And they give each other the confidence. He makes her feel beautiful and helps her become the vibrant, confident woman she really is and helps her learn how to maximize all of her talent and how to not be so overwhelmed by her visible, let's use air quotes here, differences. And she actually gives him the confidence to do some things that he felt he was unable to do. And Yes and I Love You was just a really, really phenomenal book. I loved it. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it for a long time after I read it. There is a lot of really beautiful friendship in this book with other characters. It's not just Jasper and Holland. And it's about really coming to terms with who you are and accepting that even if you may look different than what society thinks you should look like, you are beautiful and talented and have a lot of gifts to bring to the world. So I would encourage you to read Yes and I Love You. Say Anything, book one by Ronnie Lauren. The second book is out and I'm hoping another book will follow. I need to read this. So this has been an amazing bunch of books, right? Like we've talked about so many strong women who are going through life and having to deal with forms of discrimination because of, um, issues with body positivity. But, you know, what we don't as a society talk about very often is how body positivity or lack of it defines men. And so the last book I'm going to talk about is called Rogue Officer, Gone Rogue Number 2 by Patricia D. Eddy. So this book is about Griffin and Griffin has been in the, oh geez, I want to say CIA, but it's probably something else. He's been protecting people, protecting his country, doing military things for his country for a long time. And he is um, in a different country and he is protecting an important person and he gets injured pretty significantly in the line of duty. And by injured significantly, I mean, he lost the majority of his hearing. He's profoundly hard of hearing and he had to have um, his left arm um, amputated um, half of it. 
And so for a man like Griffin, who's now dealing with not only a prosthetic limb, but a significant um, hearing impairment, he is struggling to figure out his place in the world. And like, how the hell is he supposed to be the man that he's always envisioned himself to be with a body that is not the same as a year ago? And he's working for the CIA and he's like on desk duty and people talk about him all the time behind his back. They think he can't hear them, which he can't, but he can read lips. And so he knows that he's kind of like viewed as this pathetic has been who needs to be put out to pasture. But then he's contacted. I know. I love this book. He's contacted by someone that he respects quite highly and asked if he will act as a bodyguard for a fashion model who is in danger. Oh. And he laughs in this person's face because what the hell is he going to do with a prosthetic left arm and an inability to hear well? How is he going to protect this woman when she is on this huge assignment in, I believe it's Switzerland? Like, how is he going to keep her safe and all of his sort of like denouncements of himself and his abilities are met with resistance and he ends up going to be the bodyguard for Sloan. Sloan is a model. Sloan is on magazine racks across the country She, um, you know, graces the pages of magazines like in makeup aisles and all over the place. And she is this beautiful, very poised and graceful woman who at 35 has decided that she only has eight months left on her contract. And when her contract is up, she's going to go and live a quiet, normal life away from the spotlight. But Sloan has secrets, deep deep, deadly secrets that are being exposed. And someone does not want Sloan to survive long enough to live the life that she has waited 15 years to live. And now Sloan is in Switzerland and she has this man protecting her, this man with a prosthetic left arm and hand, this man who can read her lips but cannot hear her speak. And despite this, Sloan doesn't see the prosthetic hand and the prosthetic arm. Sloan does not think about the fact that this man cannot hear her speak. Sloan knows that when this man is around, she feels safe, she feels cared for, and she feels as though maybe she can survive what is coming for her. This is a romantic suspense, so I can't really say much more without ruining the book, but this book was gorgeous. Um, Patricia D. Eddy is very, she writes a lot of books about people with disabilities and she does not flinch away from describing the differences that, and sort of discrimination that people face with disabilities, but she also highlights 
all of the sort of body positive aspects of a person. Um, Griffin learns from guarding Sloan that his life did not end when the world around him exploded, that he still has something to give, something to contribute, that he has talents that can still be utilized in different ways. And I love this book a lot, particularly because it is about a man who feels vulnerable, who feels less than, and how she kind of shows the readers through Sloan and through this book that you can be a sexy, sexy man and still not be what society deems as perfect. And I love this book and I love this author. Um, trigger warnings for, for violence on the page, for discussions of um, human trafficking and descriptions of sexual violence on the page. Um, this author is a little bit gritty, but, and she does write some Insta love, things like that. But what she does is highlight that people who are not what society deems as perfect are still sexy, vibrant people who deserve a happily ever after. This book again is Rogue Officer. Rogue Protector number two by Patricia D. Eddy. Like seriously, read everything she's written. Away from so Keyboard good. series is amazing. Her Shifter series is amazing. She's just a really, really wonderful writer who does not stick with the typical beautiful people sort of category when she writes. So my last pick tonight is a contemporary romance. This Ooh. is The Fastest Way to Fall. Oh, yeah. I'm so Denise glad you're talking Williams. about this. Yes, I love this book so much. So this is about Britta and Wes. And Britta is a journalist who's working for this magazine. She kind of feels like it's not... Like it, it's a good job. She's glad she has it, but she would really like it to be more than it is. And so she decides that the way to make this happen is to actually be like a full-time writer. Right now she does some writing, but she also does like some editorial stuff. And she really just wants to be able to focus on her writing. So she gets this assignment where she is supposed to review this fitness app that has just kind of been it's it's not as big as some other apps. It's starting out and people are curious about it because it is not only an app where you get like fitness tips that are written down and like diet plans and stuff. It actually has a like personal coaching um, aspect to it. So people are really intrigued by this. They wonder, you know, about the coaching, like, is it really helpful? Is it worth the money? You know, just how, how is this going to work? So Britta is assigned to review this app. And so she does. Um, she starts, you know, sets up an account. And the thing about Britta that I think sets her apart from a lot of women that we read about in romance is that Britta doesn't really want to change the way she looks. Like she's happy nice. in her own body. Yes. I love that. 
she recognizes that she could be a healthier person, like overall, but she doesn't equate health with weight loss necessarily. Or happiness, it sounds like. Right. So when she is like kind of, you know, it asks her like what her goals are, you know, for setting up this app, this account, and like, what is she hoping to achieve? She doesn't necessarily say something like, oh, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds. Like, like I she, would say. <laughs> she, she talks about like improving her health overall and making exercise like a more regular part of her life, um, but not just, you know, so she can like look different. So Wes is one of the owners of this app and he really feels like owning the app and like doing all the like administrative stuff has kind of gotten in the way of the thing that he loves most. And that is like personal training. So he decides that he's going to start training clients again and he's going to kind of do it secretly. Like he doesn't want people to know that he's the owner, you know, when he starts interacting with them, because he wants people to feel like they can be honest about like their experiences with the app. And they might not be if, you know, the person that they're talking to is the, is like the founder. So Britta is Wes's first client. And immediately they are drawn to one another. And at first, this is just like these communications they have from within the app. Um, she finds him like really easy to talk to. And she starts explaining like some of the difficulties that she has with exercise, you know, why it's not something that she's been able to kind of stick with. And this relationship that starts out just as like some messages exchanged within the app deepens and they start, you know, texting like off the app. And eventually they kind of break one of the like cardinal rules of this app and they start working out in person. Well, now this has put them both in kind of an awkward situation because they realize they have feelings for one another. But Britta doesn't know who Wes is, that he's actually the owner. He doesn't know that she's reviewing the app for, you know, a work assignment. And Britta is really concerned that if her like readership learns that she's in a relationship or, you know, wants to be in a relationship with the app's owner, like how objective are they going to find her? You know, like how seriously will they take her review? And so what is going to happen? Like if all of this, it kind of blows up in their faces. Um, This is such a fun, witty read. I love that parts of it are kind of epistolary because we get to see their interactions. Yes. You get to see their interactions like both on and off the app. Um, Wes has a lot of, a, a lot of difficulties just kind of in his everyday life. And he's kind of tempted to keep people at arm's length. A lot of the time, I love that he has people that surround him that kind of like call him on this when, when it's necessary. Um, The other thing I want to say is that Britta sometimes like makes mistakes, right? Like sometimes she, she falters in sort of her, her confidence and her, 
willingness to kind of be who she is unapologetically. So she's not like a perfect heroine, not, and I don't mean necessarily in the way she looks, but I mean, in, in her actions and who she is as a person, you know, sometimes she like things kind of get the better of her. And she wonders like, should she really change something about herself? You know, should she give into that? And it's really nice to see kind of what happens when she does that and kind of how she recovers when she falters. Um, There's just like so much more that I could say about this book, about kind of the underlying message of the book, about the relationship between the characters. I, I could say a whole lot more, but I don't want to because I want you to read it and fall in love with it the way I did. This is The Fastest Way to Fall by Denise Williams. I saved, well, it's hard to say I saved my favorite till the end because I feel like I've talked about a lot of queens of really good body positive romance tonight, but you cannot have a body positive episode and not talk about Olivia Dade. Amen. Preach. Yes. However, (laughs) everybody talks about spoiler alert and all the feels and people don't always think about teach me. There's something about Marysburg book one by Olivia Dade. And this is the story of Rose and Rose is considered in the high school that she teaches at to be an ice queen. She is some, well, she's just very like contained and you might think she's cold, but if you get to know her, you'll actually realize that she is very, very loving and so passionate about helping her students. Rose teaches history And Rose has worked very hard to bring herself from where she was in high school. She attended the same high school as now that she teaches. So from the student she was to who she is now, Rose is cold and chilly on the outside. And she's also a woman in her early forties who is a plus size heroine. So you know, according to like misogynistic people, she has a lot stacked against her right now. So she has a very loathsome, totally annoying, greasy, misogynistic administrator at her school who, when a new teacher who is a male, who is not plus sized, is hired to teach history also at the high school, not only does he give a lot of Rose's cherished world history classes to him he says that she has to share her classroom with him for certain classes so like when she's got her planning period she can't stay in her classroom because martin krauss has now taken over her classroom and rose is hellbent krauss have his own classroom right well there isn't a classroom available so he has to put his stuff on a cart and bring it to her classroom And he knows, Martin knows from like the minute he gets there that he is stepping on her toes and he sees her and he is just blown away. And Martin has, is, is really going through his own struggles. So really this book can be about both of them. I mean, you know, this episode could really talk about both of them. So Martin is somebody who does not see his own worth or his own value at all. He is divorced. He has a daughter who's a senior in high school who he loves more than anything And he is, um, according to like, you know, your ideal man, he's very average, very, very average physically. And his ex-wife 
like if he was like looking at something or being serious, she would say he had his resting proctologist face. And oh. then she would call him like, I think it was old Ironsides. Like he just was like this, like mm. curmudgeon and just really. And I think unintentionally, but it was like a family joke. Like they called him old Ironsides, they, like, like a curmudgeon. And he has no idea of his value. So he comes in and he is already used to being kind of unwelcome in his own life. And then he is coming into this woman's classroom who he thinks is like this beautiful goddess. He just is so impressed by her poise and her confidence and her kind of coldness, if you will. And Rose is like hellbent and determined that she's not going to like him. She's not going to help him. She's not going to care about him. And she's going to freeze him out because he is really messing up her plans. He's taking away her beloved world history classes, and he's going to impact according to what she thinks. Her ability to reach students who usually are overlooked for AP classes. But then she starts to be around him while they lesson plan and they have to share a classroom. And he, she realizes how inherently kind and gentle and how much he doesn't value himself. And she realizes that he really needs a good teacher to show him the kind of person he really is. So thank goodness that Rose is an amazing teacher and they have basically one whole school year for both of them to accept the amazingness that is Rose and Martin individually and together. Oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so much about how like, when the world perceives you one way, how you think, how you, how you begin to perceive yourself. And it's also about people who honestly and genuinely care about others, care about the people around them and really want to support them. There's a lot of like loving kindness. There's a really great principle in this book. There's just, it's so wonderful. I love everything about it. Some of the sexiest, sexy times with amazing consent and just gorgeous. Oh my God. Oh my yes. God. It's and, so great. And you know, you would think that, you know, resting proctologist face or whatever it's called, like he, oh yeah, no, he's a very sexy character, but it's, it's so much about coming into your own and learning to really value who you are as a person so that then you can be the person that your partner needs. This book is called teach me. There's something about Marysburg book one by Olivia Dade. And literally, I wish she could be my best friend. This book is everything. Everything. And this wraps up our episode on body positive books. Thank you to Stacy and Sarah for sharing some phenomenal recommendations. A shout out to Brooke, who also had some great stuff picked out for tonight, but was Yay, unable Brooke. to join us. We missed you, Brooke. We missed you. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And, of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If 
if you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.